Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good to see all of you again worshiping today. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Wallace, I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I have the privilege of teaching God's Word to you. So this is what I want to do. I want you to take your Bibles, open up to John chapter 20, or if you have, you know, your smartphone, you can open your app to John chapter 20. Also, you can take your worship bulletin, and in the middle of that, you have an outline where you can follow along and take notes when God speaks to you. I encourage you to do that. You see, we are in a um, short little series heading to Easter called Rise. And for the next three weeks, what we're doing is we're studying just one chapter, John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, you have three encounters that Jesus, the resurrected Lord, has with his disciples. And with every one of these encounters, Jesus helps them rise above the experience that they're going through. Today, we're going to learn how to rise above despair. Next week, with Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, we're going to learn how to rise above fears and worry. And then Easter weekend, a weekend you do not want to miss, um, we're going to learn with Doubting Thomas how to rise above unbelief, okay? And so today, though, we're going to look at this Mary Magdalene, this amazing woman, and she is filled with despair. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. You see, our lives are a gift from God, much like this flower. And what God does is God gives us this beautiful gift called life. And it's almost like God does the unthinkable. God gives us free will. God says, okay, here it is. Choose wisely. And what do we do? We take this beautiful gift that God's given us, and we're like, I can do it better than God. My ways are better than God's ways. I think my rules are better than God's rules. And we mess up our life, right? We just sort of, you know, tear off the petals of our life, and we make a huge mess of our lives. And then we break our thing called life, and this is us, right? And we go through life, and we go, well, this is normal, right? This is the way it's supposed to be, right? And then we try to fix ourselves. Now, we know the thing that fixes everything is duct tape, right? And so, you know, you get some duct tape, you know, I can try to fix myself, you know, I can, I can handle this on my own, right? I mean, that looks better, right? Sure. Or, or what else do we do? We, we look for a counterfeit. Okay, I'm going to get me a silk flower. I know it's not real, I know it's not alive, but it looks pretty, right? And that's what we do. If we try to fix ourselves or we try to find some counterfeit to replace Almighty God. You know, some people will look in the bottom of a bottle, some people look at a needle in their arm. Some people look at the money in their pocket. Some people look at, you know, somebody else's arms. They want to find a relationship. Something to take away the pain. Something to give meaning. Something to give life. And you know what Jesus is saying to us? In all this chapter of John chapter 20, he's saying, Will you come to me with your brokenness? And I'm going to do a great exchange. You give me your brokenness, and I'll give you new life. 
That is what the resurrected Christ is offering to every one of us. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be amazed at how Christ does this. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at the despair of this woman named Mary um, uh, Magdalene. She's overwhelmed with despair in her life because of the death of Jesus Christ. Now, as we study her life, I just want you to think about yourself. Ever had times of despair? Ever have times where you're just overwhelmed with the circumstances of life? I, I know I have. Now, we call it different things. We, we can call it, um, you know, the blues. I'm just in a funk. Call it depression, whatever it is. National Institute of Mental Health says that 17 million Americans deal with depression every year. That, that's more people dealing with depression than dealing with heart disease or cancer. In fact, they say 10% of Americans are depressed at any given time of the year. That means right now, 10% of you are going through something right now and you're feeling a little depressed. And apparently, teenagers are twice as depressed. 20% of teenagers say this, they feel empty, confused, and would rather die than live. That's why 2 million teenagers will attempt suicide every year. That's where Mary's at. Mary's overwhelmed with this despair, and she's overwhelmed with this sorrow. In fact, she's described in the passage we're going to study today as uncontrollably weeping. Okay? So let's look at the passage. It kicks it off in John chapter 20, beginning verse 1. Look at what God's Word says. On the first day of the week, that's the very first Easter, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It's easy to get up early when you've been up all night crying, okay? Look what she saw. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, what's interesting is, is that her first thought was not, oh, Jesus is alive. No, her first thought was somebody has stolen his body. Check it out. Look at it in verse 2. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. We know he's John the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So the Bible tells us that Peter and John did what? They went running to the tomb. You know, Mary's trying to keep up with them and cannot. And so by the time she gets there, what she sees is, is that Peter comes out of the tomb bewildered. John comes out of the tomb believing. Now, they don't counsel her. They don't encourage her. They, they, they give nothing to her. They just basically leave and go back home. Leave her with her grief outside the tomb, weeping. Let's pick up the story in verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. Again, this is an you know, imperative, and I mean just a continuous state, meaning that she's continually crying, uncontrollably. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Her answer, because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Verse 15, woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus asked her two questions. And what I want to do today is to ask you the same two questions. And how you answer these two questions will determine how you can rise above the distress in your life or how it will just bring you down, depending on how you answer these two questions. So let's answer the first question. 
Ready? Number one, first question Jesus asks is what? Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Look at it again, verse 15. Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Now, Jesus is not saying, hey, you're not allowed to cry, and there's nothing wrong with crying, right? I mean, Jesus himself cried at the tomb of Lazarus. In fact, it can be sort of, you know, cathartic. It can be, you know, liberating to actually have a good cry from time to time. It, it is sort of like this um, young mom. Her name was Carol Knoll. She wrote to the Reader's Digest this story. She says, it was one of the worst days of my life. The washing machine broke down. The phone kept ringing. I had a killer headache. The mail brought a bill I had no money to pay. Almost to the breaking point, I lifted my one-year-old to his high chair. And then I leaned my head on his tray and began to cry. Without speaking a word, my son took the pacifier out of his mouth and stuck it in mine. <laughs> I love that. There's nothing wrong with crying. Jesus is not saying, hey, I got a problem with crying. But why did the angels, why did Jesus say this? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus had already foretold this. He'd already said to his disciples and Mary, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. They're going to crucify me. They're going to put me in a tomb. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. I mean, why are you crying? Don't you remember this information? Now, we know why she's crying. She's overwhelmed with despair. But let me ask you that question. Why are you crying? Now, some of you go, not me. I have no problems in life, right? Well, let me put it like this, okay? What's bringing you down? What is it in your life that's, that's overwhelming you? It's been said the revealing and the feeling is the beginning of the healing. You know, so what what is it? It could be anything, couldn't it? It could be just like Mary. You know, I'm at somebody's grave at a cemetery. She's not the only one to fight back tears at a cemetery. Or maybe it was a doctor's appointment, a doctor's prognosis, and it's not good for you or a loved one. Or maybe it is one of your kids. I mean, your kids can break your hearts, right? I mean, I don't know. The fact is is that we, in this life, we are faced with things that bring us down. We all have that. And so what are the two things that brought Mary down? Well, I want you to jot them on your outline. The very first one is this. First is a traumatic loss. A traumatic loss. You see, the death of Jesus Christ had rocked Mary's world. It had. I mean, think about it. She had heard the religious leaders cry, crucify him. She saw the Roman whip on his back. She, she saw the crown of thorns placed on his head. She, she felt the weight when the, the weight of the cross was placed on him. She, she winced whenever the nails were in his hands and feet. She witnessed the crucifixion of her Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us she was one of the last ones at the cross, but she was also one of the first ones at the tomb. You go, what was she doing there that morning? She was there bringing more embalming spices. And so she was there to continue to embalm Jesus' dead body. Now, the Gospel of Luke gives us even more details about this woman, Mary Magdalene. Luke tells us that she had been possessed with seven demons. Seven. What is that? You go, she was mentally tormented. She was emotionally unstable. She was physically controlled by the demonic. That means today, if you had seen this woman, we'd finally, we'd probably see her in some mental institution. And yet Jesus Christ sees her and restores her. The Gospels also allude to the fact that this woman was most likely a prostitute. This woman may be the very one described in John chapter 8 of the woman who's caught in adultery. 
And so think of it. Here's a woman who's emotionally messed up. She's living on the street. She's a prostitute. She's demonically controlled until Jesus calls her name and rescues her and forgives her and saves her and delivers her. But now Jesus is gone. Now what's also interesting about Mary Magdalene is this. She is the only woman in the gospel not attached to any other family member. Any other female described in the gospel is also attached with her name. Either she is somebody's wife or somebody's sister or somebody's mother. With Mary Magdalene, she's mentioned with no other person. Why? She had no other family. The only family this woman had was Jesus, and now Jesus is gone. The angels ask, why are you crying? I'll tell you why I'm crying. The one who saved me and rescued me and restored my purity, he's gone. They killed him, and now they've stolen his body. That's why I'm crying. Check it out. Look at it in verse 13. He said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Now, what I love there is that even though she believes Jesus is dead, she still calls Jesus her Lord. So first, she had a traumatic experience, traumatic loss. But there's a second reason why she's crying. Jot this down. She had a confusing situation. You see, this was incredibly confusing for not only her, but all of the disciples. Why? Because nobody had ever been resurrected before. Think about it. Now, Jesus had brought people back to life, but they would die again. This is the first glorified, resurrected body. And they didn't know how to comprehend this, right? That suddenly, somebody that you saw dead and crucified comes back to life. They, they just had no comprehension of this. I mean, it's sort of like this lady right here. She's 64-year-old. Her name is Lindy Ellis, sir. She went to the hospital with stomach pains, and then she came home three days later. But she was shocked that the entire time she was in the hospital, none of her family had visited her. Well, then the reason why is because the hospital had um, inadvertently misinformed the family that she was dead, and so whenever she showed up three days later at the house and walked through the door, her, her son said, we couldn't believe it. We're all dressed in black waiting for her funeral. That's got to be sort of the way the disciples felt. They had no mental process of this whole resurrection thing. See, the Gospels tell us that whenever Mary first came to the garden, that, that tomb, that you know what? She wasn't alone. There were other ladies with her. And they saw an angel, and the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. Did they believe that? No. That's why she ran and said, they've stolen the body away. Because she had no comprehension of this. You want to see confusion? Look at what happens next. Check it out in verse 12. It's an amazing scene, and yet she doesn't even comprehend it. Check it out, verse 12. She stoops in, looks in the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head and one at the feet. Does this remind you of anything? You know, in the Old Testament, there were strict rules and regulations of how they were to construct the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember the top of the Ark of the Covenant, it's called the Mercy Seat. You have these two seraphim angels that are facing each other and looking down on the altar. And what would happen, the high priest would take the sacrificial blood and lay it on the Mercy Seat where those angels are there. What you see in this passage is the ultimate mercy seat of God himself. Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the world, was laid on that altar, and these two angels for the last three days have been looking down on the sacrificed Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what's happening here. But she doesn't get any of that, right? See, that's why, see, they were keeping watch over Jesus' body. And so on that Easter Sunday morning, when Jesus came back to life and he rose again in glorified state and he threw aside his um, shroud, you know what, and then walked out of the tomb, they're like, woman, why are you crying? He's not here. He is risen, right? That's what's happening here. But Mary missed all of that. Why? Because she's so overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. In fact, she sees Jesus and doesn't even know it's Jesus. Check it out. Look at the next verse, verse 14. Angel said, why are you crying? Having said this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Let me stop right there. Has there ever been times in your life that you thought, you know, God's nowhere around? Can I tell you something? He is there. So many times we just don't see him. He's right there and we don't even recognize the presence of God in our lives. Here's Jesus right there and she doesn't even know it's Jesus. And so, woman, that's a term of endearment. Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener. Yeah, he's some kind of gardener. She replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll take him away. Now, again, I love her devotion, but again, she's not thinking clearly. Think about this. She may weigh, what, 110 pounds? Jesus in that day, maybe 170. After he's been embalmed and wrapped in all these grave clothes, he probably weighs 250 pounds. Oh, show me where he's at and I'm just gonna go get the lifeless corpse of Jesus, put him over my shoulder, shoulder and carry him somewhere. You see, she's not thinking clearly. Why? This is too confusing of a situation. She's overwhelmed with the trauma that she's experienced. What's the point? Whenever you're going through difficult times and you're overwhelmed, this is what you've got to do. This is how you've got to respond. Jot this on your outline. You've got to reinterpret your circumstances. How? Through the resurrection. You've got to look at the circumstances that you're going through, as depressing as they are, through the reality that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The great reformer, Martin Luther, once went through a period of depression for about three days. He was down in his basement, and his wife comes down dressed in mourning clothes. And he looks at her and says, who died? And she goes, God did. And he's like, he rebuked her and says, that's not true. God can't die. And to which she said, well, the way you've been acting, I thought he had. <laughs> you see, that's what happens to us. See, see, sometimes we forget that Christ is raised from the dead. And whatever circumstances we're going through, we've got to look at them through the grid of the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. Most of you have heard of Gloria Gaither. If you don't know her, you probably know some of the songs she wrote, like, you know, Because He Lives. That song, Because He Lives, was written at the end of the 1960s. There was a huge upheaval culturally in our country. It was the um, time of free sex and drug usage was very rampant. You had um, basically riots on you know, college campuses. We were in the Vietnam War. You had the burning of the inner city, the assassination of people like Martin Luther King Jr. And in fact, there was a philosophy that was rampant on all college campuses, God is dead philosophy. And not only was that going on in the culture of America, but she had trauma going on in her family. You see, her husband, Bill, had gotten sick. Someone recently had made a false accusation, you know, in his family. He was depressed. And with all that going on, she was pregnant, about to have their child. 
And she had this thought in her mind. Why would anybody in their right mind bring a child into this kind of crazy world? That was what was in her head. And that New Year's Eve, she was sitting alone having that thought when she starts thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the more she thought about the resurrection, her panic turned to peace. And the more she thought that Jesus rose again, suddenly she had joy again come into her life. And she wrote the hymn, Because He Lives. You know the chorus. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Folks, whatever you're going through... You need to look at that through the grid and the reality that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Amen? And so the first question is, why are you weeping? Jesus has risen from the dead. There's a second question that Jesus asked her, and he's asking you today. Jot this on the outline. Who are you seeking? Who is it in the midst of this grief and sorrow, who are you really seeking after? Look again what Jesus says, verse 15. Jesus said to her, who is it that you're seeking? Now, obviously, she's seeking after Jesus, right? But what kind of Jesus is she seeking after? She's seeking after a dead Jesus. She thinks Jesus is dead. What, what, what good is finding a lifeless, dead Jesus? What, so you can add a few more embalming spices to his corpse? Is that really going to change you very much? You see, that's dead religion, folks. Dead religion is always dressing up corpses. That's what dead religion is. We don't need a dead Savior, folks. We don't need a martyred Messiah. We need a living Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can ever change us. And so whenever you're going through a time of sorrow and a time of difficulty, who you need to seek is the living Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to notice two characteristics about him. First is this. When you're going through a hard time, you need to seek after the one who knows your name. Seek after the one who knows your name. Can I tell you something? The God of the universe, Jesus Christ, he knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're you're feeling, what you're experiencing. Check it out. I love this. It's incredible. Verse 16. She's thinking Jesus is the gardener. What does Jesus do? Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I don't know how it is that Mary recognized it was Jesus. I don't know if it was the tone of his voice. I don't know if it was the Galilean accent. I mean, I don't know if it just triggered a memory of maybe the first time she heard her name spoken without demons screaming in her mind. She hears Mary, and immediately she knows it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You see, that's what I love about this. Our God is so personal. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He he is. I mean, most of us, we think of God in a general sense. Okay, God so loved the world. No, God so loved you. He knows your name. He, He doesn't need name tags to help jog his memory about you. You're not some number in a file in heaven. Okay, let's look you up. Oh, 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 I almost forgot who you are. No, he knows you. He knows what's going on. He knows your name. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. As a parent, have you ever forgotten your children? 
Now, I know that you haven't forgotten them, but maybe forgotten them somewhere. Um, you see, because I get here real early on Sundays, I get here like 7.30 every Sunday, Susan and I have always driven two vehicles to church every week. And so um, when the kids were real young, what we would do is, you know, she'd bring the kids, and when we were coming home, we'd often divide and conquer. And we all have to make sure, okay, who's got this kid, who's coming home with them, right, kind of thing. Well, there was on one particular occasion that I thought Susan had all the kids, and she thought I had one of them. And so by the time I get home, we realize we left our third son, John, here at church. And so I rushed back here. Thankfully, one of the um, you know, preschool workers stayed with him there. And so when I rushed down the hall to get him, the first words out of his mouth was, you forgot me. You forgot me. It wasn't that, okay, I, I, I left you at church. No, he thought, Dad has forgotten me. Can I tell you something? God will never forget you. That's what I find so remarkable about this story. Think about it. The first act of the resurrected Lord was what? Go say hi to Mary. I mean, think about it. Jesus has just ripped the gate off the hinges of hell. He has just transformed B.C. into A.D. He's just been crowned the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is now surrounded by 10,000 angels standing in rapt attention waiting for his first command. And the first thing the resurrected Lord does is say, I got to go down to the tomb and speak the name Mary because she's crying. Is that amazing? That's not just Mary, folks. That's you. That's the love and pursuit of Almighty God he has for every one of you. And so when you're going through a hard time, you seek after the one who knows you, who knows everything about you, the one who knows your name. Secondly, when you're going through a difficult time, seek this. Jot this down. Seek the one who's worthy of worship. Seek the one who's worthy of worship. You see, as soon as Mary heard her name spoken by the eternal tongue of Jesus. She immediately knew who he was. And what does she do? She worships him. The other gospels give us this detail. Look at it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. It says, Mary took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Now, apparently, when Mary was worshiping Jesus and hanging on to Jesus' feet, she just weren't going to let him go. It's almost like, I lost you once, Jesus. I'm never going to let you go again. And so Jesus had to give um, Mary a gentle rebuke. Check it out. It's found in John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus says to her, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I've not yet ascended to the Father. Now, Jesus isn't saying to her, hey, don't touch me. I mean, because later on we discover that Jesus often said to his disciples, hey, touch me. I'm not a ghost here. I'm flesh. Look, Look, I'm really resurrected. This isn't some illusion, right? So he's not saying, hey, don't touch me. What he's saying to her is don't cling to me. What does that mean? See, Mary was like, okay, I've got to keep Jesus here. I've I got to keep him right here. I don't ever want to lose him again. And Jesus is saying, look, Mary, things are different now. I'm not staying here on earth. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to the Father. My job's not complete. I've got to send to the right hand of the Father where I'll rule and reign. But you know what, Mary? Your job's not complete either. Now you are an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. You need to now tell other people that. Look at it. It's found in verse 17. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them, literally in Greek, kept telling them. 
what she had heard him say to her. See, she went and said, you know what? I've got to tell you what I've seen, what I've experienced. Here is this mourner now suddenly turned into a missionary. And it's the very same thing for you. Did you know that if you will worship Christ in the midst of your despair, he will turn your sorrow into laughter? He he will give you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. He will transform your life. And those things that keep dragging you down, suddenly he will give you joy again. That's what God has promised us. How? Well, jot down this final principle. Jot this down. Knowledge about the resurrection doesn't change you. But knowing the resurrected one does. Let me say that again. Just having knowledge about the resurrection is not going to change you. But knowing the resurrected one will. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you today, hey, believe in the doctrine of the resurrection. No, what I'm telling you is you come to know the living Lord Jesus Christ. You walk with him. You experience him personally. And I'm telling you, that is the kind of life that will transform you. And suddenly, whenever you have Christ in your life like that, you know what? You look at life differently, even whenever it's a difficult time. Let me close with this. Pastor W.A. Criswell uh, was a pastor in Dallas, and he was traveling back to Dallas after a conference. And sitting next to him was a um, professor of a college. He was a Christian professor. And so they began to, you know, introduce themselves to each other and talk about the Lord. And very soon... um, he discovered that this professor had lost his son recently to death. And as he's telling his story, he said, you know, when my son came home from school, he had this fever, and I just thought it was a childhood illness kind of thing, but it never would go down, so we went to the hospital, and and the doctor, they ran tests, and they discovered that he had a rare form of meningitis. And the doctor said, there's nothing we can do. Um, All we can do is just make him comfortable. And the professor said, you know, on the last day of my son's life, I was sitting next to him and, you know, next to his bedside. And things began to be really cloudy in his thinking, in his mind. And, and even though it was middle of the day, he said, Dad, it's getting dark outside, isn't it? And he says, yes, it's very dark right now. He goes, is it, is it bedtime, Dad? And he says, yeah, it's very close to bedtime. And he says, well, I'm a little tired, so I think I'll go to sleep. And so his dad sort of fixed his pillow, and his son laid his head on his pillow, and then he looked at his dad and says, Good night, Dad. I'll see you in the morning. He said, good night, son. And his son went to sleep, but then passed from this life to eternal life. The professor looked out the airplane window for a while and turned back and had a tear coming down his face. And he said, Dr. Criswell, I can't hardly wait for the morning. You know, the Bible says that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The the truth is, Jesus put it this way, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. But be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. We are going to have times of difficulty. We're going to have times of sorrow. We're going to be overwhelmed. But what we have to do in those times, we have to view it through the resurrected Jesus Christ. And in the midst of those times, we need to seek after the one who knows our name and the one who's worthy of worship. And when we worship him in the midst of that despair, I'm telling you, he will turn your sorrow into joy. He'll be the lifter of your heads, even in those moments. So let me ask you those two questions. Why are you crying? What's bringing you down? And who are you really seeking? 
Seek after the risen Lord and watch him change your circumstances in your life, in your heart. Why? Because he's risen. He's risen indeed. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.